All right, let's get this over with. Let's do it. Welcome into the show, everybody. Brendan Schaefer here with you. Another episode of B Shape Daily on tap. As we've got a doozy of a Cardinals game to talk about today, don't we? Monday, April 25th, as the Cardinals suffered uh, certainly their most devastating loss of this young season in losing in a game that may have uh, cracked the Mount Rushmore of demoralizing defeats in recent Cardinals memory. As the Mets took down the Cardinals 5-2 to two at Bush Stadium, but that wasn't the score. That was not the score after seven innings. As we got the pitcher's duel that we thought we might see a little bit of on Monday night at Bush, you knew Max Scherzer was going to do his part. You knew he was going to fill up the box score with zeros, as he so often does. But it was Miles Michaelis that was able to match him blow for blow. And actually, in talking about the game afterwards, Mike, Michaelis was asked, you know, what, how do you view that? Because you're not pitching against Max Scherzer. You're pitching against the Mets lineup. But how do you view that when you try to match a guy who you know is a future Hall of Famer, a really good pitcher on the other side? Michaelis talked about training in the offseason down in the Jupiter area with Max Scherzer. And so that's a guy he's familiar with. And all that good stuff. But Michaelis actually said, well, I threw up the first zero because he was pitching in the top of the first inning. So really, Max Scherzer was the one that had to match me. I thought that was a good answer from Miles tonight. He was in good spirits despite the loss for the team. And he had every reason to be. Michaelis pitched really well. Gave the Cardinals every chance to win this game that they, they could have hoped for. Seven innings of no-run baseball. Scoreless baseball is a probably a smarter way to put that if I were better at this I would have said scoreless baseball but that's exactly what Michaelis did four hits allowed walked one batter had five strikeouts and the heater was really working 95 96 on the heater a couple K's at least on the fastball up in the zone had good location was able to get hitters to swing through that pitch a few times ERA for the season for Miles Michaelis down to 1.21 and I tabulated the statistics for him after he departed the game following seven innings of scoreless baseball on Monday. For what he's done so far this season, throwing out the first start, because with the first start, he gave up a couple of runs, didn't go very deep in the game. That was kind of the warm-up week for everybody, right? But since then, Miles Michaelis has had three outings, 18 and two-thirds innings pitched, one run, just one earned run in those 18.2 innings, 17 strikeouts, has allowed 11 hits and two walks, which is good for a .697 whip and a .48 ERA. So 0.48 on the ERA, 0.697 on the whip, which is walks plus hits per innings pitched, or per inning pitched, rather, for Michaelis. And he was fantastic. He's been fantastic his last three outings. And that was kind of the game plan, right? You know that Max Scherzer is on the other side. You know that's going to bring problems for your offense. It certainly did. Scherzer only gave up two hits in seven innings, struck out 10. He was fantastic, gave up one walk. So just three base runners. The Cardinals got a runner to second base. I believe it was the third inning. Tommy Edmond got there when Paul Goldschmidt moved him over. And that was the one time they got a guy in scoring position against Max Scherzer. He looked electric. Even ending that final at-bat against Edmundo Sosa, he struck him out to end the seventh inning. 
And at 101 pitches, you think, well, that's probably it, right, for most pitchers at this point in the season in particular, especially with the condensed spring training. They're probably – that's probably it for him, right? But then again, it's Max Scherzer, and so I wondered – Maybe would they bring him back out for the eighth inning? They decided not to. They went with Trevor May, and that was the opportunity the Cardinals needed, and they kind of kept the line moving. Yadier Molina, good to see him getting a base hit in that spot to start things off in the eighth inning for the Cardinals because it's been a tough go for Yadi. Everybody's kind of recognized that, but with the base hit, he went one for three and raised the batting average to 156 for the season. Yeah, it's up from 138 where he came into the day averaging but that was what the Cardinals needed to get things going. After the Molina base hit, Harrison Bader had a nice knock into left field. And that's when you saw Brendan Donovan make his major league debut, pinch running for Yachty at second. And later on in the inning, Tyler O'Neill got it done. It was Edmund that the play for Edmund was interesting. And it was also interesting to hear the explanation by Ali Marmal for why they pinch ran with Brendan Donovan for Yachty when they did basically said, I, I, we weren't bunting with Bader. And so you're not worried about making a force out at second base. If you hit a ground ball, like it doesn't really matter who the runner is from first to second, unless he's stealing with the pitch, which they weren't going to do in that spot. It doesn't really matter who's running on first. I guess the only circumstance in which it would matter would be a ball in the gap. Yachty probably doesn't score on it. Well, he definitely doesn't score on it. And then you wonder if it's kind of a tweener in the gap does Yachty go first to third assuming you know Bader's probably going to lay out a double if he can that would be the one circumstance where I would say maybe you go ahead and do the pinch runner at that point but in a 0-0 game you don't know what the rest of the the inning is going to look like you don't know what extra innings is going to look like you'd rather keep your starting catcher in there if you can which gives you more flexibility later on down the line but once Yachty got to second base on the Bader hit Marmol said, that's the plan. We know we're going to bunt with Tommy Edmond or at least attempt to do so. Although that really never was facilitated. So I kind of wonder about that explanation a little bit because he said we were going to bunt with Edmond and try to move the runners over, which is fine. You can argue about whether or not that's the right play. But Edmond took strike one. He pulled the bunt back. And so I, in my head, I was kind of thinking, well, that's, that they were just showing Bunt to try to confuse the Mets, and he's going to swing away. And then that's what he did on the, the one-strike pitch. Tommy Edmonds showed Bunt once again and then swung away, but he chopped it right over the pitcher. Just I think it might have even hit the pitcher's glove, which allowed uh, the runners to advance from, from first and second, respectively. And Edmonds ends up getting out at first base by a really slim margin. Thought he might have a chance to beat that out, but it just a uh, nice play by the, the defense there up the middle to be able to get to that ball. And so it was effectively a sacrifice bunt, but they didn't actually go for the bunt. So I'm curious about that. But that was the mindset anyway by by pinch running with Brendan Donovan when Yadi reached second base and not doing it at first. They wanted to conserve the catcher position and keep him in the game if they could. But once they had a chance to take the lead, they went for it. And so on the Edmund play, you get runners on second and third. Goldschmidt not able to convert there, but he did go two for three with a walk in the game. And it was Tyler O'Neill who got the base hit where the Cardinals needed it there in the bottom of the eighth inning. Two runs scored on the play. Good base running from second base to score on the, the pretty standard single. And so that was the 2 nothing lead the Cardinals were looking for. And you just knew the whole way. Get Scherzer out of the game whenever it happens. And you don't really enter a game thinking, oh, we're going to work up his pitch count. 
because the guy doesn't really make many mistakes. He's not going to throw wasted pitches that, that are so far out of the zone that you can just say, okay, I can comfortably take that. No, his his pitches that are out of the strike zone are the pitches that he's trying to get you to chase for strike three more often than not. But he commands the zone. He's got nasty stuff. We know Max Scherzer by now. And so you, I'm not saying that you can basically throw your hands up and say, well, we're not going to score off the starter today. But, I mean, in reality, it just it just didn't feel as though you were going to get much done off of Max Scherzer the way he was going today. He was mowing him down. But credit to Miles Michaelis because it was just it, it just kind of felt like, okay, bide your time. He's going to be out of the game eventually. Whenever that happens, that's when you've got to make your move. Cardinals did that. They got their two runs. And then, oh, boy. Oh, boy. It all went to, to hell in a handbasket in, in the ninth inning for the Cardinals. A team that prides itself on its fundamentals and making the right play and always doing the right thing. Uh, it just didn't happen. It did not happen for the Cardinals in that ninth inning. And let me walk through this. The first play was the Arenado play where it was a 3-2 count ball that could have ended the game right there. Grounded sharply toward the third base side. Arenado's moving toward the foul line, and, and his momentum is kind of taking him into foul territory. And he goes for the play that he's made a couple times within the last week or so. I think he did it in Miami and did it in Cincinnati as well. Momentum taking him toward that dugout across the foul line. So he's in foul territory, but he's going to make that sidearm throw and, and deliver it a strike to Goldschmidt at first base. And the Cardinals are going to win the game. That's what you think. Doesn't go that way. He sails the throw. And for the first time all year, we're talking about, well, Arenado making those sidearm throws. I, I think he should really do that differently. And I saw a lot of different sentiment from Twitter tonight. And I want to try to be respectful of that because I, I I did probably overstep a little bit when I tweeted that, you know, it's nonsense to suggest that it wouldn't have been a sensational play by Arenado if he had completed it. Because I thought in real time, watching it live, it would have been. And, and just because he makes these throws from foul territory once a week, it seems like, doesn't mean it's not still special when he does it. And so I, I kind of made that comment, but that was wrong of me because people were just trying to engage and, and have a good conversation about the game, and I got to be more respectful of that. So I'll hold my, myself accountable for that one. But I do still think it would have been a plus play for Arenado to be able to complete it. However, you, you watch the replay, and especially if you watch the slow motion, he does take four or five steps. He double pumps the ball, and I couldn't quite tell there was a – feed that I, that I saw on the MLB TV highlights. And I think it was the Mets feed that showed this replay. But it seemed like the ball was pretty clean in his hand. I thought at first, okay, maybe he double pumped because he had trouble with the exchange and couldn't get the ball out. But it just seemed like he was taking that extra step. A lot of times that's a timing thing, a rhythm thing for a fielder to do the double pump, even though you would say you kind of hit the ball against the inside of your glove just to set yourself and it's like, well, you're not really setting yourself because a lot of people, I saw this argument on Twitter, you should plant your foot, you know, stop your momentum carrying you the wrong direction and instead reverse plant and throw a strike to first base because that's the more high percentage throw. That's the throw that's easier to make. 
And I don't think that's even wrong to wonder and suggest that that might be true. But here's where I am, and I'm just gonna I'm I'm gonna try not to to be a jerk about this, but I want to give the perspective and how I view this for Arenado. If you're in his shoes, and this is a play you make constantly, right? You practice it ad nauseum in the off season, in the dead of winter. You're you're making these plays. You're setting up these drills for yourself on that ball that carries your momentum into foul territory. And I think the element that Arenado always tries to keep and why you see him make the the highlight reel throw is because he wants to keep the fluidity in his momentum going so that he can move from one movement to the next without getting too jerky and bulky about it. Yes, might it make sense for him to try to quickly stop the momentum, plant his feet, turn toward first base, and make a throw? Yes, but then you don't get a, a lot of momentum into your throw. Uh, it, it's a it's a throw that's got to be made quickly because I kind of tried to pause it. And again, this was an errant throw. He overthrew the bag. It was well above Goldschmidt's reach, and so it wasn't a very good throw. It was a bad throw, and he, he deservingly got an error on the play for the throw. But as I'm watching that, even an on-time throw, I think would have been a, a get him by a half a step at first base kind of thing. It was going to be a, a bang-bang play as, as far as I could tell. And then watching the replay, that kind of confirmed what I had already suspected about it. It was going to be a close play. And so for me, the instinct of a player like Arenado when he just does this so often is and, and people were wondering, well, what about tagging the runner? The runner was, it was kind of weird. He was going from second to third, just kind of assuming the sale, assuming, well, Arnado's going to end this game anyway right here, so it doesn't really matter where I am. And he kind of strayed pretty far to where people were wondering, well, could Arnado not have stopped his momentum and, and just walked up and tagged the guy? Maybe, but then you're inviting a rundown and chaos potentially into a situation uh, that, that, doesn't necessarily need it if in your mind you're thinking, okay, I, I make this throw all the time. I'm going to do it, and we're going to win the game. I really think in that moment it's a bang-bang play, and that's the instinct of Nolan Arenado is to just do what he always does and make the play. I I don't know if he got a little bit of trouble on the exchange. Again, on the replay that I saw, at first I, I suspected that that was the case, and I even told some people on Twitter, but then I kept watching that replay, and I thought, man, I don't know. I think he had the ball in his hand, and he just went for kind of the double pump, hit the ball on the glove for rhythm purposes because that's maybe the the thing that makes him comfortable throwing the ball. Arenado was out of the clubhouse, to my knowledge, by the time that the media got in there, uh, so didn't get to ask him about the perspective on it. Uh, Gio Gallegos was still in the clubhouse, but we haven't gotten to him yet. Well, we're still dissecting Nolan Arenado's throw, but we will – We'll get to how Gallegos really struggled with the fundamentals and and made an error that that contributed to the, the Cardinals losing this game. It wasn't the only reason, but but it was one of the reasons for sure. But wrapping up first on the Arenado thought, I just think it's one of those plays that yes, he makes it nine times out of ten, maybe better than that, ninety-five times out of a hundred. I don't know, but it's just a play that. When you, when you break it down and you slow it down, it is really easy to say, well, what if, what about that? What could you have done differently? And I think that's valid to wonder. That's why, that's what's so great about baseball. There's not always just one way to do something. And, and as fans and, and people who love the game, we can kind of 
analyze and, and put in our two cents about that. And for me, though, I'm I'm just not I, I just don't feel comfortable questioning that about Arenado because I know that that's his play. Like that's the play that he makes. And with an on-target on throw, it would have been just another example of him making an exceptional play. I do think that you could make an argument, okay, stopping the momentum, does it give you a better chance? But I also think that that throw and that action to slow down and you got to come to a dead stop because your momentum is carrying you toward the the other dugout and to stop and try to be right on the chalk when you do and then from a, a flat-footed position because then you don't really have a, a, a chance to take a little crow hop or a step into the throw necessarily. So you might be throwing it off your back foot. I just think it's a case of Arnado is most comfortable making the style of play that he attempted tonight, but it just didn't happen this time because he's human and he made an error and the box score reflects that. And so that's kind of where I land on the Arenado thing. And I, and I do think it's interesting. I do think there's like, yes, objectively, if he hadn't thrown the ball, if he had just said, no, this time I'm not going to be able to make the play. I'm too far into foul territory. I'm just going to eat the throw. He could have looked and seen that the runner was was pretty much sauntering into third base. He could have made the tag and and probably had it had it closed out there. Probably the safer play too, if if you're just going to run and tag. But then it's not so safe if it turns into a rundown because the player coming from second he turns around, goes back toward the bag. Now you've got two runners on the bases and a throwing error at some point throughout that process uh, probably leads to a run and then another runner in scoring position who's the tying run at that point. And so these aren't things that he's necessarily thinking through because you don't have that kind of time with that play. Again, it was going to be bang, bang. So I don't think he's considering, he doesn't have time to stop and consider, hey, this play I've made a hundred times, this time I might do it differently. And a hundred is probably underselling it too. But this time I'm going to do it differently because of the runner on second. I'm just going to run down. I'm, I'm going to get into a rundown. You're inviting so many other elements into that play if you do that. And so that I think that's part of why he didn't. But I beat this horse to death. I'm going to, I'm going to move on to the Gallegos play. I do think it's interesting, though. And I want to be better about being respectful. I had a conversation with one fan in particular who had commented about it. And I, I sort of was, I was just a little too snarky. And I don't need to be that way. And so... I cleared it up with him, and we're all good now. But let me know what you think about that play. What would you have liked to have seen Arenado do? Hit me up on Twitter. Send a tweet at me. Shoot me a direct message. DMs are open. I'm very curious because I, it's just one of those plays that, for me, he's Nolan Arenado. This is what he does. There's a reason he's won a gold glove every year he's been in Major League Baseball. He's won multiple platinum gloves. He's just that good. And tonight, he just on that one play in particular, didn't make the play. And so that is what it was. A run comes around to score. But at the end of the day, you're still in decent shape. For one, the runner, I believe it was Mark Canna, didn't end up on second base. The ball didn't go into the dugout, so he wasn't awarded the base automatically. He's on first. But then another base hit after that puts the Cardinals in a little bit of a tougher spot. And I believe it was runners on second and third at that point when the fateful Gallegos play happened. And it was a line drive. It may have even bounced off the bag, and Goldschmidt does what he does at first base, deep deep in the hole at first, down the line. He gets the sprawling stop, lays out to make sure he, he secures the ball, 
And now all he's got to do is flip it to the bag for the win. All's well that ends well. Cardinals win 2-1, to one, except Gio's not there. And this is one that Ali Marmal was asked about it first things first in the press conference after the game. And he said, that's, you know, we're going to make physical mistakes. We're going to have physical errors that happen. But that's a mental mistake, and it can't happen. Gio's got to be on the bag. That's basically what Ali Marmal said. And he's right. And he called it like he saw it. He called it like all the Cardinals fans saw it. Gio's got to be there. And he did face the music a little bit in the clubhouse after the game. Uh, but but Gio had the the uh, Spanish interpreter there. And so it it wasn't really you didn't really, you didn't really necessarily get the best sense of of what he was was thinking about that play basically said a couple times you know I'm I'm going to do better and improve on that for next time but it wasn't really clear whether he was talking about his pitching or that that play at first in particular which is what he was asked about but I think he knows yeah that's a spot I got to I got to do my job we do PFP we do all of these practices in spring for a reason you got to be on the bag in that spot. And and he said, he did say at first, he thought maybe it would have been a foul ball, but that's not really an excuse either. Because again, if it's a foul ball, okay, there's no big deal. You, you wasted a little bit of energy hustling over to first base when you didn't need to, but which kind of error would you like to make? Uh, I remember back in statistics class in college, and I never remember which is which, but it's a type one error or a type two error. And one of them is the kind of error that Ah, you 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 kind of did a little bit of extra something. You you gave a little more than you needed to, uh, and it ultimately didn't turn out to be necessary. But that's the kind of error you want to make because, again, it's not like you, you ventured a whole lot in doing it. You just hustled a little extra in this case. If you're Geo, you didn't actually have to. No big deal. You move on with your life. The type two error, I think, though, is the one where, oh, boy, you didn't do that little extra diligence that that you should have. And this time it did turn out to be a grave mistake because the runner scored. The guy was safe at first base because Gio did not beat the flip to the bag for Goldschmidt. And and I just don't think Goldie would have beat him there either. Again, he was on the ground, had to get up. His momentum was not going toward the bag, kind of like the Arenado play. You have to completely start a new momentum set. I don't think he was beating the runner. I think it was Dom Smith that was hitting at the time. He wasn't beating Smith to the bag. He did the right thing, I think, in flipping it to Gio. But Gio kind of stutter steps at the end, just didn't have a, a, a real quick trigger to the bag to get his foot there. And so the run scores, and then Goldsmith was on it the entire time. He's already pointing back to home plate like, Gio, you got to get rid of the ball ASAP. And and he wasn't able to do that. And the, the third run of the game for the Mets comes around to score. Two runs on that one play. And so it's a mental error for Gio not to be to the base. you got to be to the bag. There's no excuse. It's a mental mistake, and it can't happen. And then after that, I would even, and people weren't really harping on this too much on Twitter, I kind of asked and and, and said, well, could Arenado have tagged the guy? Was, it, was that a possibility? Could Gio have gotten to the bag quicker? Which was an obvious yes, but I was kind of going for the uh, the framing of the tweet. And I said, could Gio have turned toward home plate more quickly and, and thrown the runner out at home plate. And folks said, well, that third one is the one that probably, I would say, was was the least likely to turn out just because of all the different things that would have had to happen in that play. However, there is just a moment on the video where Gio, and Gio said after his momentum was taking him the wrong direction, so he wasn't going to be able to make that throw. And I agree, it probably would have been safe at the plate. However, he 
he had a moment where it was just kind of a lull in the action after he stepped on the base, after the umpire signals safe. There was just a, a split second there where he wasn't quick to, and it was almost just like it dawned on him after not even a full second, just a, a moment in time, a half a second, where he, he didn't make that immediate turn toward home plate because he probably thought, again, it happened so quickly at first base. He thought, well, I, I did I get there? Did I did I get him out in time? I, did we win the game? No, he was late. It wasn't really all that close. But when you're making that play in the moment, bang, bang, trying to beat a guy to the bag, he just had that little moment to digest, and it, it ended up being the difference. And, and again, it may have been safe at home plate anyway, but just another one of those little mental miscues. The major one, though, was was just not being on the bag. you got to be there. And then, of course, TJ McFarland comes in. First pitch home run for Brandon Nimmo. Was surprised that ball stayed fair. It just kept flying out toward the right, right field foul pole and, and stayed inside, and that was all she wrote at that point. 5-2. You knew you weren't going to get much from the Cardinals in the bottom of the ninth. I do believe they walked a batter, and so they had a base runner. But they, it just, you could hear a pin drop in the place. The air had been sucked out, and that's fundamentals. And that's why it's, I think, a little bit more of a, a damaging loss to the psyche because you're the team that's supposed to do all those things the right way. And in that one inning, it, it goes to show how important the fundamentals can be. Again, for, for me, for Arenado's throw, it's just one of those things I'm, I, it was an error, but it was a physical error, and and I and I can't classify it for me, and I'll try to be respectful of those who disagree, but for me, I can't classify it as a mental error for Arenado because I think that's the right play. I think you take it to first base. Yeah, maybe you don't take four or five steps. Again, it's easier to kind of criticize that when you're watching it in a slow-motion replay. When it's happening in real time, those four or five steps – I think are all the steps that Arenado is, is typically looking to have to ready himself and set himself in the best way that he can to make the throw. He does that kind of rounding run play throw off balance because it keeps his momentum fluid. And I think for him, and he's done this long enough that his belief is in most cases, when you're going toward the, the foul line uh, into foul territory, at third base, it's better for him, and he's clearly more comfortable doing it because he's done it a lot, to just kind of run around a little bit, take a few steps, hit that ball against your glove, and and be as quote-unquote settled as you can be for what is going to ultimately be a sidearm throw to first base. Yes, technically that's a, a, obviously a tougher throw to make than stopping your momentum and, and just throwing from, from a planted position, but I don't know that he gets the power behind that throw clearly he prefers it this way because that's what you see him so often do. I just can't call it a mental mistake that he that he didn't plant or that he didn't think to, to stop and tag the runner instead. I think it's just a physical error that happened. The GO1 is different, and Ali Marmal was was on top of that for, for why that is because that's that's what you practice for. That's, that's what pitchers, that's his job. In that spot, you've got to be able to get to the base, and he hesitated. He who hesitates in that moment is lost, and, and that's what the Cardinals were tonight. 5-2 to two at the hands of the Mets at Bush Stadium. And, man, in a game that I was writing up the story for the winner. Like, it was it was going to be a, a really good win. You could celebrate Michaelis being able to have another good outing, his third in a row. You could celebrate Yachty getting the base hit there to start the rally in the eighth after having a really tough start to the season. Uh, you could celebrate Brennan Donovan as the pinch runner scoring uh, a run in his first big league action of his young career. 
and it would have been the game winner, and it just ends up being uh, entirely something different tonight for the Cardinals. And so those games are going to happen. I, I thought you, you saw a mix from Twitter. Some people said, well, th this is an average team, and so that's what you get. This kind of proves it. I don't think the Cardinals are an average team. I think they're a good team, a team that could still contend for this division. Uh, you know, you're going to have a hard time keeping up with the Brewers because they, they do pitch so darn well in their rotation and their bullpen. It, it, they're not going to let up on the gas. It's going to take 90-some-odd wins, I think, to win this division. The Cardinals are still going to be in the mix for that. One loss against the Mets in April doesn't change that. However, the Mets are one of those teams that right now, at least in the early going, is looking like a, a playoff contender themselves. I think they're now 13-5 and five on the season, so they're they're well ahead in that NL East division at this point in time. And so this was one that you would have loved to be have been able to steal against New York, against Max Scherzer, because the blueprint was there. You did everything you needed to do. Sure, you didn't do anything against Scherzer, but who does, right? I mean, that was just – I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time harping on that tonight because that's kind of what you expect. Is Scherzer to have a really good outing? You'd like to be able to scratch across a run or two but at the same time, it, it just doesn't end up being uh, being in the cards for the Cardinals there tonight. And so you, you take your lump and move on when the bullpen comes in. And they did exactly that. They put together good at-bats, and they were able to, to get the runs they needed. It just came unglued at fundamentals in the ninth inning in there. And so it's a disappointing loss for the Cardinals. Like I said, some people thought it meant they're an average team, and, and this kind of proves it. Others said, well, it's April, and and – I can remember when Daniel Vogelbach hit a grand slam to beat the Cardinals uh, last year, so it can always be worse, and, and so there's a little bit of that sentiment as well. I'm curious what you think. Let me know, at bshafer12 on Twitter. Direct message, tweet at me, do whatever you feel is good. I've also got TikTok now, by the way, and I don't know if I'm any good at it, but I've made a few videos. Some are Cardinals. Some are just fun. Uh, you know, I, I try to put a little bit of my personality into Twitter as well, but TikTok, I'm going to try to give that a go and make that an opportunity for me to just kind of be silly and, and do some stuff. I, I, I did some TikToks about me cutting the grass over the weekend. Just uh, I, I definitely let it go way too long before I cut the grass. So anyway, if you want to hit me up on TikTok, it's bshafer12 there as well. bshafer12 on Instagram, facebook.com slash bshafer12. All my pages are the same handle, same as the Twitter. So follow me, friend me, do all that good stuff. Untapped is the beer app where uh, I, I think I tweeted out over the weekend. I was like, if you guys are on Untapped, friend me. Send me a friend request because I want to see what beers everybody's drinking and uh, do the social side of that one a little bit more. I like to log my beers on there, so maybe you do too. Hit me up over there. Hit me up anywhere. Let me know what you think of the Cardinals, what you think of the tough loss on Monday, and uh, what you're looking for with the team uh, heading into the rest of this series with the Mets and then the Diamondbacks to follow over the weekend uh, down at Bush Stadium. Appreciate you guys as always. Make sure too to subscribe to Be Shafe Daily. That's the main thing, right? The podcast. If you haven't done so already, you can find it on Spotify and Apple Podcasts as well as Google Podcasts. Make sure you hit hit it up and uh, subscribe. Do the review thing. That would be good too. Five star reviews, right? Five stars only. Um, if you're thinking about giving maybe like a two star review, um, I, I would have to frankly ask uh, what you're thinking. You know what's the matter with you? I'm joking. Uh, but appreciate you guys, as always, for listening. I'm going to wrap things up here, though, because it is after midnight now. It's technically Tuesday. I lied earlier when I told you it was Monday. But I had to get this podcast in before going to bed, so that's what I've done. Appreciate you guys, as always, and we'll talk to you next time on Be Shaved Daily. Peace.